Welcome to Business Steps Up, a presentation of HIALI, one of the recognized voices in Long Island business. We'll focus on cutting-edge topics important to the Bi-County region and beyond. So sit back, relax, and listen to some of Long Island's most influential business leaders here on Business Steps Up. So good afternoon again, everyone. Welcome on behalf of myself, our board of directors, and our board chair, Rich Schumann, is here. Many of you know Wave, like the president. <laughs> oh, he does that. Um, welcome. You know, seriously, I hope everyone is staying safe, first of all. We got some wonderful news this morning that our COVID rate on Long Island is down to 5.81%. That is wonderful news, wonderful news. And in uh, New York City, Claire probably knows better than me, but it's about 3.35%, right? So... Way to go. We're getting there. We are getting there. And you know, many of you know the HIALI has been with you along this fight the whole way, right? Disseminating a lot of information and, and really being a one-stop shop for the business community. There is so much that has been accomplished, not only through COVID, but will be accomplished beyond. Look at the possibility of a convention center on Long Island. I'm very excited about that. A third track, UBS Arena right, was built, and many of the development in the downtowns are just continuing to go on. So much to be proud of, and I have to say that we're very, very proud of our members. You've heard us say before, you know, many of you literally on a dime repurposed and gave us personal protective equipment, and I have to say the banking industry has been absolutely no exception to that. So it felt like overnight, you, pro you guys probably know better than we did, but overnight you began to disseminate PPP funds. And while you were doing that, you had to be able to take your whole staff, right? And be able to figure out this remote thing that we're all going through. So you saved a lot of lives and a lot of business lives. So congratulations. And really that's what this program is all about. Talking about the banking industry, where it was, where it is, where it will be, and they will always be a valued partner. So we're, we're delighted, really, to have Claire with us. I've gotten to know her a little bit through this, and she's great. You're going to love her personality. She's the president and CEO of the New York Bankers Association and the first female in 127-year history in this role. You go, girl. Can I say you go? I'm going to say it. Kevin will tell you, I'm stealing his thunder, but Kevin will tell you she began in December of 2020. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Right smack in the middle of COVID. So we'll hear a little bit about that. We're equally as fortunate to have Kevin O'Connor with us from Dime Community Bank. He, uh, he has probably over 30 years of experience in the banking industry. We are fortunate to have him on our, yes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't say you were old, I just said over 30 years experience. I used to visit him way back when in North Fork Bank. That's how long ago it was. Um, we're fortunate to have him as a board member. I have to say that um, what I appreciate about him the most is, and I said it before when we were filming, is his laser focus on organic growth. He is just focused on it and really understands it, which for an organization like ours really helps us out a lot. He, uh, if you've ever met Kevin or met him at a restaurant, he knows everybody. I don't know. Kevin just knows everybody. He's just that type of guy because he's that real and I'm he's never that there authentic. That much. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm embarrassing him. See how ready he's getting right now? Um, and the last thing I will say about it is when we went through COVID, in the beginning of COVID, if you remember, many of the 501c6 organizations, our organization and trade organizations in general, we're not approved yet to get PPP funds. And one of the first people that I called was Kevin. And I said, we need your help. We really need your help to really push us through this till we get ourselves to the next step. And can you imagine what he said to me? He said, absolutely. What can we do? We will do anything for you guys. And they, they did that. And I have to say this little group right here at this table really did it, right? I mean, the people that work for you and, and we appreciate it, people, stopping at my house to get checks signed and just calling us all hours of the night. So that's a commitment. We're very, very, very lucky. So I'm going to turn it over to Kevin now that I'm thoroughly embarrassed. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, excited about this program. So everybody give them a round of applause. 
So I'll just, before I, the, the red story should have some fun. I remember having to do a speech in health class in high school about 100 years ago. And you had to do a little collage. Remember the magazine pictures? Only old people remember that. I'm looking at you, Scott. And one of them, I actually had a picture of a tomato because that's the color I was making that speech. So, uh, Terry, I do appreciate it. Uh, it's exciting to be here with Claire. Uh, I had a little intro, but I guess it's on, your, it's on the table, on the so table. I don't have to read that. Along with my picture. Uh, Talk uh, about getting read. Uh, <laughs> I, one of the things I think when you look at your, your, your bio that should really be highlighted because it, it says a lot about you is that even though right out of school you got involved in Geneseo's Alumni Association, mm -hmm. back to Fordham to teach, um, and one of the messages that I think that hopefully comes out of this, and as parents we all, is that understanding to give back right away. And so you did that. Uh, you know, taking over in December of 20, not only taking over in the middle of COVID, but taking over from somebody who had run an organization for 40 plus years. Uh, and to be able to do that and transition. And so we'll talk a little bit about banking today, but I think we'll talk a little bit about leadership and, and the things that you have accomplished and done. Um, I met Claire uh, when I joined NIBA. I guess I was there a couple of years and then you joined. Uh, and so we have spent uh, a lot of time visiting Washington and Albany. Uh, we've got to listen to Chuck Schumer's, he has four speeches, and we have to decide which one we're going to hear. And I won't say that we would place bets if we're going to hear the exterminator story or the camp story. Um, and so, but uh, they're entertaining, but there was only four of them. And so we got to hear those. Uh, we got to spend 10 hours in an airport in Rochester. That's right. Um, shut down the bar, and that was always fun. Uh, they gave us drinks to go and said, you sit here till the flight comes through at midnight. Um, uh, but it has been uh, a great run, and Terry, I do appreciate your, your, your kind words, and it really is the people here, and, and people at all in banking. I have a lot of colleagues here, and everybody recognized that this was a way for us to get to the other side. Um, I got a call the other day from a, a local newspaper, and they asked me, you know, we did, we've done 4,000-plus loans, and the question is, how many businesses can't we find at this point in time? And I said a handful, and they really, because I, I heard of the number, and then it's less than 20. So... Somewhere along the way, this really did work. So um, uh, I do appreciate the opportunity and the accolades, and this is one time that I think bankers really rose to the occasion. So I salute all of my colleagues out there. Um, and, and I think, you know, we thank you for the opportunity to actually help. You know, we know, you know, and I know that we don't want to make this all about the pandemic because if the, the rates are down and we're not wearing masks and it feels like it's getting back to normal, let's hope it stays that way. But... Uh, this is a real opportunity, I think, to share a wonderful person. Uh, on my organization, everybody that got to talk to Claire, they were just so delightful and said, how could she actually like you? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But, you know, I think one of the things I'd like to start with is just what is NIBA? How, you know, sure. what, what's their role? Um, you know, we were in a room today with bankers of all sizes to talk about it, but I think uh, understanding trade associations, because lots of people here, not in our industry, mm -hmm. belong to them too. And so how do you view your role and, and the things that you work on? Sure, sure. Happy to. I, first of all, I want to say I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Uh, I am a native Long Islander, um, and I'll, I'll go through my little spiel that I did before. I, I'm from uh, Setauket. You all know Setauket, right? Everybody. I always start at Stony Brook when I'm in a room outside of Long Islanders. So I'm from Setauket, exit 62, right? I uh, went to Ward Melville High School. Anybody else? Ward Melville? Hey, hey, Ward Melville High School. Did not play lacrosse, if you couldn't tell. Um, uh, and then, uh, and, and so I, this, is, this is coming back to my roots. And so it's just a, a thrill for me to be able to talk to all of you. Um, and not only about banking, but also um, small business. Uh, it just absolutely, certainly during the pandemic, but always just absolutely linked to the banking community. Um, so it's, it's just my honor to be uh, among all of you and to talk to all of you about all the things that are going on in your lives. Hopefully you can have a little bit of a dialogue as we're sitting up here. Uh, but the New York Bankers Association has been around since 1894, a 127-year-old startup, we always say, in our office. Um, and um, we represent all of, uh, pretty much all of the banks across New York State, about 150, um, from every size, every region, every charter type. Um, from the tiniest little one-branch bank, Mesita Savings Bank, on the border of Canada. They do mainly agriculture lending, uh, all the way up to and through uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the largest, one of the largest uh, financial institutions in the world, really. Um, so not only do we advocate government relations, professional development, all of that uh, for the banking industry, but we're also some of the largest employers, uh, some of the largest real estate holders, um, some of the largest philanthropists, 
quite frankly, uh, in the state. And so uh, we are there to uh, advocate on your behalf um, at the city, New York City, uh, New York State, Washington uh, level. And then we're also running all kinds of programs to give you guys all kinds of opportunities to, to learn more about the industry and, and better yourselves. It's got to be challenging to work with, as you said, one branch and then J.P. Morgan yep. Chase. All of our issues are not the same. They, no. And so no. I, I think, uh, and it's interesting when you get in the room, how we all interact. And, and sometimes you are the quarterback. You are the quarterback <laughs> and the gatekeeper and the, the warden and the asylum. That's so, correct. Um, uh, but it's interesting. I think that, uh, and I think it's, it's worth noting that, you know, the, the leadership of the, you know, the chairman of, of NIBA usually rotates between some of the smaller banks and mm -hmm. the larger banks. Uh, and again, just to keep it equal and so that we can be efficient. Uh, and actually this year, joining you as the first woman chairman of... Second woman, second first African-American oh, yes. woman, uh, which is a thrill also for me. Um, it was, this is inherited by me. This was not actually my doing, but um, Thelma Ferguson is from J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, she's a one of the head managing director at J.P. Morgan Chase, which is really impressive. She's phenomenal. I can't wait to work with her. She's been our vice chair for two years. Um, so, but she's got, here's what happens when you're the chair. You are the chair for a little bit. You, you don't represent J.P. Morgan Chase as the chair. You represent the industry too. And she's got a real um, focus on, particularly on community banks as they come out of the pandemic, as the mergers continue to happen, and as, uh, as, uh, as we continue to sort of contract as an industry and have to deal with all kinds of technology and, and, and digitization, which we can get into if we want to talk about. We could. We could. We could. <laughs> uh, we actually had a, a meeting today that was of the Long Island region, and unfortunately through the mergers that have occurred, what used to be a full room was down to about eight of us. And so we had to bring the bankers from Queens in to just fill the room and make it a <laughs> Very happy to have them uh, here. Part of Long Island. Queens is part of Long Queens, Island. Makes, it is, makes it, sense. That's how we say it anyway. <laughs> Montauk to Manhattan. So maybe you can just give a little color as to uh, Terry did hit on sort of in the pandemic and what we did. And, and some of our successes in industry was leveraging the work that you did mm -hmm. and sort of you know, lobbying for some of the things that happened. So maybe give a little color on that if you could. Sure. I, you know, look, I, I appreciate Terry saying, how could you possibly do this in December of 2020? I, I can't tell you how honored I was to do it in December 2020 after watching what the banks had just done um, from, from April 24th, 2020, which was a Friday night surprise press conference. Uh, we started to hear details of this program called the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, not a lot of guidance to start. The only guidance was there's $350 billion and it's gonna be gone really quick. So you're gonna to have to deal with it. And so uh, we were told it was, going, was it, it was April 24th, it was a Friday evening, literally it was evening. And they said, it's gonna start on Monday. And what, what do you do, right? So, uh, people just stayed overnight. They just live, like I see you guys nodding your head. You just absolutely buckled down, you knew that if you didn't get that lending out the door, those, those communities, those businesses, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have made it. Um, $350 billion went out the door in 14 days. That's 14 years of lending in 14 days. 4,000 loans from this gentleman right here. Uh, almost a billion dollars, I understand. Yes, yes. Saved 75,000 jobs right here. You saw um, our posters. I know. I, I, just did my, I, I went to Long Island Public High School. I did my homework before I came in here. I learned that lesson. Uh, but no, I, that's, that's phenomenal. There's so many stories of that all over uh, the place. Not only PPP, but you had people, um, uh, I'm looking at Tom Rudswick over from MassPath, uh, who was helping out the fire. Remember, you talking about the fire departments getting uh, PPE to the fire departments, making sure that they were helping. We had stories of um, one of our great banks in the Hudson Valley realized that the restaurants were not gonna be able to pay their uh, workers and they had food kind of rotting, sitting there. So they decided to get uh, funding through their, their foundation to the restaurants, have them cook the food. You literally see videos of the CEO of the bank taking the food to hospital workers to make sure that they were fed on the front lines. Just over and over again, all these stories, which is just unbelievable. So for me, coming into this, it was, uh, who wouldn't want that job, right? I was so proud, I'm still so proud, uh, to be able to say that I helped usher that through. And uh, you know, all we were doing, and our staff over here, phenomenal job uh, on their own, we're all, we were all working from home. Remember, you all know this, I don't have to remind you, New York was the first one 
to have to deal with this, right? Really in the, in the front of it all, there was no playbook. There was no way to know how to get your, your, how do you work from home as a financial institution protecting data, making sure that people still had access to their money at all times, making sure that businesses that other people were depending on could actually thrive. Um, and so doing all of that all at the same time, we became the ones that the other states started calling over the summer of, 2020, I was on the phone almost every day with another state bankers association saying, how did you do that? Um, the, the very first thing we did, I don't know if you remember this, very first thing we did, um, the, gover the governor shuts down the state and he says only essential workers uh, can you know, move around and we weren't on the list. We weren't on the list. It was focused on healthcare and grocery workers and things like that, but the financial services were not on the list. Even the liquor stores at first. Yeah. Right, even the liquor stores. Oh, priorities, priorities. Uh, so so, uh, so we, had, we had to get on the phone and beg to get, first it was banks, and then we had to say, oh, wait a minute, there are call centers. Oh, wait a minute, we need to make sure that the armored vehicles can get the cash to, the, so we were just constantly on the phone, and that's the kind of stuff we were talking about with the other states as they got, just get yourself on that list as fast as you can. And so it was, it was a, a, little, uh, a little chaotic, but we were just rolling information to you all as soon as we could. That's the, uh, the great part of having such a strong and connected trade association. I think it's, um, it's one of the things that is, as we hit, on, hit upon a little bit, and maybe this is a little inside baseball, right now we're struggling with, there are, you know, mergers, we've talked about them. There are a number of them are pending that are challenging or not getting approved. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and the, the regulatory process is somewhat broken as it often gets and changes the administration. Um, and so there are people's lives that have been affected by that because when a merger happens, people lose their jobs, potentially lose their jobs. And, They've been held up for that process to move on different opportunities in their lives. And so if you can comment a little bit of sort of, you know, what's going on sort of in, in you know, as you see some of the regulatory environment changing. Oh, sure. Um, well, I think we're at a moment in history, and I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not a historian. I, I just can't remember a time when we had so many federal regulators not actually in their seats. We've got a lot of people who are acting capacity at this point. And that has to do with Congress. That has to do with the Senate being 50-50. So getting somebody through and confirmed is very difficult. I'm not taking sides here, but it's very no, it's difficult. Um, so you have a Fed, the Federal Reserve Board has four, four officially empty seats. One, one is for the chair who is, you know, like all but confirmed at this point. But the other three just went through hearing confirmation uh, and they had a tough time. It, it's not guaranteed uh, that they will, they will actually be confirmed. You've got an acting uh, OCC or controller um, and you've got, um, You've got the FDIC now. The FDIC chair is, has just stepped down. So that's another open seat. So when you talk about mergers, a lot of people want to talk about inflation. When's it going to, when are we going to supply chain, all that stuff. I think what you're, what you're really seeing sort of in the background, now I'm not an economist uh, and I, I, I don't pretend to be a merger expert, but I think what you're seeing is a very cautious, uh, pragmatic federal government taking a long time to get things done. It's very frustrating. I get it. Um, the merger situation is getting a little more complicated by the day. We just saw, uh, as I was coming down here, uh, that there's going to be a, a Senate hearing on one of the mergers, which is, I don't know, the best, <laughs> the best precedent uh, to be able to have a Senate hearing on a merger. Is, I don't, does anybody want to watch that? Uh, uh, to the public, I don't know if you do. <laughs> um, but it, but it's, it's meant to be a transparent process. The problem is it's not something that's been done before. So it's, it's, it's going to be a tricky, long ride. I think there are a number of, number of New York banks in this situation right now as they wait for mergers right. to go through. So we, we, as we had this meeting today and I listened to, what are some of the things you're seeing in the next sort of 12 to 24 months affecting our industry mm -hmm. on a large scale? Oh, I, I think it's, it's uh, there are things that are affecting every industry. There's the, the digitization of everything, right? Um, and, and the one thing that was kind of cool, and you're going you're gonna to want to smack me for this, but kind of cool to watch was how fast banks who had these five-year plans to digitize themselves did it in about five days yeah. <laughs> in March of 2020. They were just ready to go. These plans that they had not necessarily gone through all the process that they normally go through were like this, just absolutely flying through. And I think you've got a lot of challenges uh, uh, based on that. You've got a lot of um, fintech and crypto. We can talk about cryptocurrency. Uh, all of these things coming in to try to disrupt the system. I think those are, the, are going to be your big challenges. Um, 
just based on, this is in the weeds a little bit, but just based on what you're seeing from the Financial Services Oversight Committee, uh, FSOC as they call it, they've got three Cs that they're, they're worried about uh, for the banking industry. The first is cryptocurrency. Uh, the second is cybersecurity, which is another thing that goes hand in hand with, with digitization. And then the third is climate risk, which is, uh, which is an, a whole other topic to talk about if we'd like to. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, what's interesting is that oftentimes between crypto, climate risk, the cybersecurity, obviously the, you know, the crypto is something that will affect us. Mm -hmm. right? It'll affect us from the digitation, from the, the currency as it works. Um, you know, I have a group of people in this, at this table that work on BSA and AML, which is all about know your customer and preventing all the bad actors from using, those, using cryptocurrency. And so uh, one of the things that's scary today that I heard in our room was that all of these companies that are out there pretending that they're going to check to make sure it's only good people using cryptocurrency and bad people can't get access to it, the, the way they're doing their due diligence their, their failure rate is 70% compared to what we, if we had to do it ourselves. So uh, I think there is a lot more to come from that if, as the, and I think that's where the federal government as it's now getting involved is, yeah. is, is getting scared by it. So. Yeah. Oh, and there's proof of that. It comes out of the PPP program, proof right. of that. 90% of the fraud that went, that came in through the PPP program was FinTech because of exactly that. You, you folks are saving this whole uh, situation by knowing your customer. And I don't mean just regulatory, knowing your customer. I mean, you know your customers. That's how you were able to get the right funding to the right people at the right time at that time. And that's where, honestly, you can disrupt all you want, but you're never gonna have that kind of solid foundation that the banking industry has in being able to say, uh, we know our customer, we're, we're following all of the federal rules and regulations on, on Bank Security Act, but we're also in our communities. We've also been doing this for decades. We've also uh, been able, we also know, we, this is the kind of organization where you get to know sort of the rhythm of how, uh, how things are going in your communities in a way that a, a FinTech that's an app on a phone is, it's just not gonna cut it. They're gonna have to somehow partner with you to get that. I, I, think, it's, I think that's what, I think what's coming out of this is yeah. that the structures that we've built in, in anybody that's been to any kind of event like this, bankers have been up in the room and complained about regulations mm -hmm. for the last, decade and, and being over-regulated over post the 08 crisis. Uh, but the systems that we built are stronger than probably most other industries. Absolutely. And I think we'll be used that way. I, I see uh, Joe Perry is in the audience and he's, our, he's the chair of our risk committee at the bank. So I have to be very careful here. Oh boy. Uh, but that on must the cyber, be a tough on the, on the On the cybersecurity <laughs> side, <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> that's a whole different risk Joe, you've got. There. Uh, but on the cybersecurity <laughs> side, it's, um, you know, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, the, the hackers go after our customers, right? Mm -hmm. And they figure out a way to get you to do things that you shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. And it winds up transferring money out of our bank. And it and looks like yeah. where the, you know, and yeah. they come to us and said, what did you do? And it really, it's just, yeah. we're the method of payment. And so uh, we view our role, quite honestly, as education sure. and, and outreach and, and uh, you know, as we go through this and as you know, we watch you know, difficulties in the economies, you know, fraud has picked up in our industry. Yep. Um, and some of it's good old-fashioned paper checks. Mm -hmm. you know, so we, as we think we get away from some of the technology, and I, I use this as an audience just to, to share that with you, uh, fraudulent use of checks and people depositing fraudulent checks and, and taking you know, a check that you wrote them and make it a check of a ch another check with a different dollar amount is happening. So I would just, Warn all the businesses out there just to be careful. It's you know we're seeing it flow through our branches, and we're you know we're the we, we catch it or the recipient, or we're the ones actually where the money leaves you, and now we've got to figure out how to get it back. And so um, I will say there's been good cooperation among the banks as we discover it, if we can, if we can get it timely enough that it. Um, and so again, I think it's this is a, a part of the industry that works collegially. You know, yeah. As a we, through our trade association, but so I. I do use this as sort of a, a, an advertisement for just be careful out there. The, uh, the cybersecurity hacks are true. Uh, we're getting a warning a day, and I know, uh, we have, you know we have more people probably in cybersecurity than we've ever had before sure. and more than we ever thought we would need. I, I don't know if the team is half of the actual data people are on the security side as opposed to he's shaking his head, he's probably right. So, um, But uh, I do think it's something that we all have to think about and worry about going forward. So.
Um, but that's, I don't take the room down no, on that no, one, no, do no. I? I no. no, it's important what you say. Cybersecurity is a partnership. It, yes. you, you can't just be up to the banks to do it. You've got to be able to, like you say, education, uh, particularly uh, elder abuse and, oh. and fraud. That, that is a horrible situation that happens often, often, often. And it's really a partnership between the customer, for sure, and the bank. Um, we work with NYPD on this all the time. We get, I get a daily sheet that's called NYPD Shield. I get, I get updates on it all the time. We're always putting it out in our publications whenever we can. Um, but it really is just exactly what you're doing, just raising public awareness as much as you can. Switching gears a little bit. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So as I, as I alluded to at the beginning, uh, you know, I think, you know, as I said, I met Claire when she was just the general counsel of NIBA, not just the general counsel, but the general counsel. And, and oh, I, I actually wasn't. I was the deputy. But if you okay. thought I was, I was hey. I was. So you, you came I across that have, way, I so must, I believe it. <laughs> must have been doing something right. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, and as, you know, we both sort of learned what I, you, I joined yeah. a trade association, sort of, okay, how do you get in? What, who do you know people? And yeah. so over the course of the eight to ten years um, that I was there, watch you to do what you've accomplished and then take over. Um, for a lot of people in this audience that run businesses, the transition from one management team to another or one leader to another uh, can be a challenge. So what are some things that you sort of did and that, that you oh can goodness. share? My goodness. I could talk about banking all day long. I can't stand talking about myself. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> when we said uh, we do this, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, so I, listen, the tr it's, I, I can't, I'm looking at Karen Armstrong, who's she's our, uh, our senior VP for communications member engagement. She was such a great partner through all of this. So I'm going to keep looking at you in case I get anything wrong here. Because we were in such a, imagine where you were in December of 2020. It was actually about October when, when I really kind of got the role. I took the acting role uh, of, uh, the acting uh, CEO role in June or July. Um, and, then, and then came back in October-ish. Um, and officially started in December. So imagine where you were at that time in 2020. Um, and then imagine you're handed this thing and, you, and they say, have at it. Um, you know, there was a lot that had to be done. We had a very disconnected staff. Uh, we had, um, we had a, a very um, disengaged membership. Uh, that, was, that was obvious right away. And um, all I wanted to do, the, uh, from day one, all I wanted to do was have this master plan, this, you know, whatever, whatever you want, a strategic plan, whatever it was, written down on paper and I could show everybody and I was checking off the boxes and I was doing all this. And I, I said, I don't even know, I don't even know where to start on this. So I'm gonna, instead of that, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna do that in a month. I remember talking to you about this actually specifically. I'm gonna do that in a month. And in the month in between here and there, I'm gonna just talk to people. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it a listening tour and I'm gonna get on the phone with every single one of our board members and some other bankers around the state. Um, and I, you were one of the first people I talked to. I remember that. And I, I said, Kevin, I think they're going to think I'm not doing anything because I just want to talk to people first. And you said, that is the plan. And I, and I was so relieved to hear that because I, we, were, we were very disengaged at that moment. Um, and getting, just getting on the phone, I remember getting on the phone with the Queen's crew um, and, and hearing all about how they were feeling like they weren't as connected as they could be. Um, and so... It, it was that was probably my first step was really just to learn and honestly from that moment on it's been the greatest gift to be able to just pick up the phone and talk to people what's going on in your community how is it going um, how's the bank how are the employees particularly at that time I I really was fully expecting this dread and and fear and chaos and you know watching everything on the news you thought it was horrible and I would just pick up the phone and say how's the bank Literally, everybody had this, the most inspirational story um, and, and something that really turned our, turned our attention away from what we were doing and talk about what you all were doing, which I think was a, a major transition for us um, to sort of skip the hard sell of what we do and talk about what you do all day long. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, no. I, I think it, it, <laughs> I think it was those kind of stories that, that got us all. It's, mm -hmm. um, Sometimes when you are trying to figure out how to communicate, it's almost better with those vignettes. Mm -hmm. right? I, I, was, uh, I, I, was, I, I was out with a customer the other day, and, and you know, in, in a story that we always tell is, you know, where's a relationship banker? What does that mean? What does a relationship banker mean? I think it means that you're connected with your customer, and I'll say on many touch points. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, we were out, and I see Diane Duell here, and, and, and I know that 
I was out with her and the lender, and we, were, we took a customer to lunch, and there was eight of them there because they were so excited that, you know, <laughs> to be out, right? Yeah. We're all, right to right, go out right. is so exciting, right? <laughs> and, um, and I'm always bragging that the lenders, and again, inside baseball, lenders should always bring branch people with them because the team, the team aspect of that, and probably everybody in their business has recognized that the team is better than the, the individual parts, and so uh, I think that's always the right way to go. And to be there that day and to see the interaction between the lender and, 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 the, and, the, and the branch person was just incredible. And they, mm -hmm. they just, and that works. And so you try to take those vignettes in that story. And we have an officers meeting this Thursday to communicate to all of our officers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to use that specific yeah. example. And I knew Luann was out the other day with, and visiting another customer with, with, a, with a lender in the same way. That story and how that comes across and how the customer responds to that and what they say mm -hmm. is that. So I think the idea of doing that kind of the storytelling, right? Because mm -hmm. one of the other things that we heard when we were in, in Florida this year, some of the bankers stores where, you know, and I know there's credit unions in the audience, and so you get to share branches effectively. Banks were never supposed to, I can't take a deposit from the guys at Peoples, we're not allowed to do that. But in the pandemic, the banks upstate did, right? They mm -hmm. figured out a way to do those when, when there was only one. When there, when there was one, two branches in town, and they were yeah. closed. Yeah, they were they were talking to each other. They were yeah. saying, you know, if you if you're if you you have to close. A lot of people had to close down um, their branches. If there was if there was one person who had COVID, you had to shut the whole thing down. Um, so they would say, I got to shut down. We're gonna we're gonna go down the street. We're gonna shut, send people down the street, and you, you take care of them today, and then we'll take care of them next week. And they, they yeah. were doing that. All, all, the, that was the Hudson Valley banks that were yes. doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was terrific. I know I, Steve Santino is here. He's our, our retail division chair. Um, we had a great conference this year, just to speak about what you were just saying. Great conference this year where we, um, again, it was COVID, COVID created, but it turned into a great opportunity. I hope. He's shaking his head. He's, I, I, or maybe he's just being nice. But it was, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. We, so our retail, we have a, a retail division and a trust and estate investment management division. Um, and they each have their own conference during the year. And it had been you know, 12 months, 15 months at that point where neither one of them had been able to get together at all. And so we decided to sort of really all about amassing a crowd at first. We thought we'd bring them together and we'd run parallel conferences and, and, and really just sort of have the rooms there and if they talk to each other, that'd be great. But then as we started to talk about planning the program, we realized exactly what you're saying. The retail folks could really benefit from talking to the small business lenders and the investment management and even the trust in the state. And there's tons of research on this right now. Um, right before the, the, uh, the pandemic in, in 2019, McKinsey did a study on this, um, really saying that banks Banks who succeed are the banks that take that opportunity um, in terms of sort of bundling their services. You think about, I think they said 40% of households in the United States um, have a bank account in several different places. So you'll have a, a savings and checking account in one place, you'll have your mortgage in another, car loan, maybe you'll go to an investment management firm for, for your estate planning. Um, and, and they were talking about how if, you can, if you're able to have that kind of communication, that's what our conference was all about, ch changing the way, instead of siloing everything and having only the retail branch employees over here and the lenders over here, if you're able to get them to talk to each other and follow data, which is probably the most important, take the data, and I don't mean, you know, you, even numbers. I, yeah, I mean, I mean relationship. Yeah, yeah, you know, yes. you, you're, you're talking to somebody at lunch right. and you're telling the rest of the crew exactly what's happening with that customer and oh their son or daughter's thinking about going to college and and you know it just sort of the snowball starts going and that's where banks are going to be able to differentiate themselves from from the rest of the crew and the and the in the financial world if they're able to be able to sort of usher people through their financial lives see so, yeah, i turned it back to banking i did Wasn't you that did that i'm, I'm, I'm going to keep trying to get you there no I <laughs> so I, I i guess and again in trying to put together this program and ask and, and just interact, you know, mm -hmm. obviously a lot about banking is it's what we do, it's right. what we live every day, but, you know, first off, I think understanding banks are businesses too and how yep. do we drive our business. We go through some of the same experiences other businesses go through, as I said, transitions, how do we, how do we touch customers and things like that, and then also how we all get to the arc of our careers. So you're a lawyer by training. Yes. So lawyer by training, yeah. worked in securities litigation That's and right. things like that, and so... How do you go from there and make sort of the decisions to wind up here? Sure, sure. Uh, well, as a young girl, I dreamed every day of being the president of the New York Bankers. No, I, <laughs> no, I did not. 
Um, so I, I uh, it's a it's a really weird path. I obviously went to Wardmobile High School. I went to uh, State University of New York at Geneseo. Anybody Geneseo in the room? Yay, Geneseo! Oh, good. I have family in the audience. <laughs> uh, such an incredibly special place. Um, and I, I, um, while I was there, I was political science major. While I was there. Uh, the, uh, the state actually cut SUNY tuition in half. Um, and to make up for it, they doubled tuition. Yeah, this happened. Back, there were like okay. stegosaurus on the lawn back in the day. Um, You're not, so, that's not going to work coming this way, Claire. I don't know. Um, no, so, so that, to make up for it, they, they, um, they doubled tuition. And I knew, I was a junior at the time, I knew people who had gone through three years of college and had to stop because they couldn't afford it anymore. And I, I there was, your reaction is exactly what I, I, I found that to be such, right. such a level of unfair, unfairness um, and being in the political science uh, world, which was really just, it's a liberal arts college, it's, it really teaches you everything you need to know about life sort of thing. Um, I, I kind of had no, I thought I was going to law school, but I had no intention of going into politics. Um, I started getting involved in advocacy for SUNY while I was there. And, uh, and, and led the charge for Geneseo, went into Albany uh, with the, the SUNY Student Association. Yeah, there's pictures. Uh, wow. Someday we'll have to share them. Um, and I, and we, uh, we rallied. We rallied for, uh, we said education cuts don't heal. We had all kinds of cheesy lines and stuff. Um, and it got me really involved in that world. Um, we were unsuccessful, unfortunately. But I ended up deciding that I wanted to go to Albany and see if I could fix Okay. You know, what the heck is going on in Albany? That, that question followed me the rest of my life. We won't ask that in this, we won't <laughs> so ask that in this right, room. Right, right. Um, so, so I ended up going to Albany uh, working for Steve Engelbright. Do you all know? He, he's the state assemblyman. He's been for years and years and years. Um, and I worked for him on his campaign and then uh, ended up coming into uh, uh, the central staff of the state assembly, uh, working in higher education and education policy. So I got to right where I wanted to go. Did some great things there, and, and just sort of five years in or so, I, I literally started as the assistant to the assistant's assistant. Like, that's how long I was. It is, it is one of the things, if anybody's ever had the opportunity to lobby yeah. in, in Albany in Washington, you know, you, you often don't get to meet with your direct representative. That's right. But you get to meet with their staff, and a kid around, somebody my age, walking in, they're all like 12 years old. <laughs> But they're incredibly bright yeah. and passionate. And, yeah. and you, yeah. I didn't realize you were one of them. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah. I remember every time I would come back from those trips, I would share with them. First of all, you, the energy and the, 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 the intelligence that's mm -hmm. there. You know, it's why you you, know, you always think it can get better because there's so many smart yeah. people that care about it yeah. and, and, and think about it. And so that's interesting to yeah. know that you were I one didn't, of them. I didn't know you didn't know that. So yeah, no, I, I I was there for five years, sort of hit as high as I could go, and. Um, Decided I wanted to come back home uh, and go to law school, which was something I had always thought about doing, um, and ended up going to Fordham. Um, and I don't, are there other lawyers in the room? I know Neil is a lawyer and Jill. Um, yeah, yeah, we and got a couple one over, over there. here. You all know if you go to if you go to law school, you don't know how to be a lawyer, right? You just, you just finish and you're kind of like, okay, I learned a bunch of stuff. You got to find the right place to go and really learn how to practically be a lawyer in, at your first job. And I, um, I got this terrific job with Morgan Lewis, which is a, a really one of the world's largest uh, law firms by population. Um, and uh, and I, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was still in that education policy kind of world, um, but I knew I wanted to find the right pew. It's a great, great um, uh, advice that was given when I got there. Forget about the subject matter. Find the right people who can mentor you um, and, and really teach you the ropes. And that group happened to be the securities litigation team. Okay. Um, and so I, I worked with them. We, we represented clients, uh, big financial institutions in front of the SEC and FINRA, um, and even internal investigations. They were terrific. I mean, they were just awesome people to work with. I just, I was not meant to be in a, a big firm. That's just obvious. I, I'm a people person, if you haven't figured it out. And I was sitting in an office looking at you know, documents all day long. So, uh, about six years in, and I don't want to say anything bad about Morgan Lewis, they are great people, great law firm, but I hit a, I mean, smack into the wall. I was just done. I couldn't do it anymore. Gave two weeks notice without a net, just walked out the front door, uh, and I can remember so clearly standing outside the front door uh, of Morgan Lewis, and like uh, right on Park Avenue, actually, and 
bawling, just crying my eyes. I, I had no idea where to go, what to do, uh, where, what, to, what to do next. Um, and I ended up talking to a, a, a um, professor at Fordham who said, come back and teach and, um, and, and work uh, one of our clinical programs in mediation and dispute resolution. Um, so that was a great way to just sort of take a breath and, and think about what I wanted to do next. Um, and I actually, the very first person who got me a job uh, in, uh, in Albany, who I had reached out to another Geneseo graduate family, um, who, who, her name is Margaret McGovern. She now works for HSBC. She called me up and she said, hey, there's this job. I don't know if you'd be interested, but you got the government experience. You have the, the financial services experience. Why don't you check it out? It's called the New York Bankers Association. I'd never heard of it. Um, but it was like the two careers kind right. of crossing, which was neat. Um, so I did interview and I got the job, obviously. Um, was the deputy general counsel to government relations, then moved through the ranks, was the general counsel for two years and became the president and CEO. And here's the coolest part. My new office, you've seen it, it's, yes. it's the, the big office, looks out over Grand Central, beautiful. Big corner office you got. Big corner office, big cave I call it because I'm so uncomfortable in it. But it's, it looks out on uh, Grand Central over here and literally over here is the sidewalk in front of Morgan Lewis where I was bawling wow. my eyes out. Didn't know where I was going. Yeah, isn't that cool? It was, it's a big moment when I sat down in that chair the first time and I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's, it was such a you know, full circle moment. So. That, is, that's, that is a... <laughs> so you have to do events like this to get that... <laughs> Did you all know that story? <laughs> they, all know, they hear it all the time. I'm like, all look, right, okay. it's 101 Park. <laughs> <laughs> so based upon that, I mean, what advice would you give people to sort of think about, I mean, you did realize that you had reached sort of a, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I... In both places, actually. Yeah. I didn't, I've never actually thought about this, but when I was in Albany, I just kind of hit, it was like as far as I could go with a bachelor's degree, so I thought, oh, I'll go back to school. The other one was a little more dramatic, um, but, but I think, look, I, I have a very different path from other people, um, and I, I think somewhere along the way, and I don't know if somebody taught me this or, or what, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the first woman in 127 years to take this, who, who does that? Um, I think it's just a matter of trusting yourself. I, I think, you know, if you have any other advice, it's the wrong stuff. It's, it's knowing who you are and, um, and just following that and you get to where you need to be. That's, I mean, it's very basic, but. It's funny that hit the wall thing, because I, I feel like I was, I was at Northwork for 20 years and part of my 30 plus years, and there was a, several times at that point there where you, I did feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to, I, I actually went on some job interviews and said, okay, and then you came back and that was, I think, the great strength of that organization was, and there's lots of organizations like it, but where there is opportunities to almost reinvent yourself there. So I didn't, I didn't have to have that aha moment and walk outside mm -hmm. and cry. I, you know, <laughs> Uh, I just stayed inside and cried. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I went home and I went through the exercise, and I was lucky enough to figure out how to reinvent myself in that that organization That's multiple right. times, yeah. and to be able to continue to move forward. Uh, so, um, it's it, it's as you have children, you start to have those kind of conversations. How you think about it. So yeah. now. I know in my life I've had certain people that are mentors. I still go back to the manager at the Genevieve's Drugs I worked at, but uh, I learned Genevieve's lots of him drugs. from him. Yes, oh, yeah. well, there's a whole Long Island yeah, reference yeah, as well. Yeah. Who knows Genevieve's Drugs? Yeah, Somebody course, must. Yeah. I know okay. Joe Perry does. There we go. Um, and it was an organization that when I was there, many of the store managers they were not they were pharmacies that had retail components in. So the store managers were oftentimes pharmacists. Great people, but probably not the best retail managers. And so I remember the first time I had somebody who was a true retail manager, you know, he's the one that told me you don't park in the first spots in front of the door, that's for the customers, that kind of mentality. Right. And so your whole career is sort of built on different mentors you had. And so I guess you've probably had some too. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, care to share? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I have to say, uh, my first boss, we were just talking about her, it's so weird. You have to tell her I told, told, told this story. Uh, my first boss, Again, I was as junior as junior could be. I can remember um, wanting, when I was thinking about myself, I wanted to make my age. I think I was 22. Um, so I was, I was, I was uh, struggling and, uh, and really never been a part of an office environment in any real capacity. Um, and Terry Crowley, 
uh, was my boss. She was the team leader uh, at the time. And she's literally, she's from uh, Western New York. She's the only person I know that can say my name in three syllables. Kalayer. Um, so she's, she wants to go, Kalayer. And, uh, and she just, uh, she had this trust in me. I don't know where it came from because I was just this junior, junior, junior person. But she would sit me down in, in, you know, I, we were working a, a, in a, a, a staff called Program and Council, which is um, part of the Speaker of the Assembly, the, the Speaker's staff. And she would bring me into meetings with the Speaker, and she'd turn around and she'd say, Claire, what do you think? Claire, what do you think? Um, and and that, it was so stunning to me. And the other thing she did, now, I'm, now that I'm talking about it, the other thing she did that was so important to me, she never said, Claire works for me. She said, Claire works with me. It was such a huge difference uh, for me as a young kid um, just sort of blindly making my way through all of this. So, so Terry's definitely one of them. Um, I had a number of people at Morgan Lewis who really sort of shepherded my legal career. You have been one of them. You must know that. Um, as I was making my way through all of this, from deputy general counsel to general counsel, um, for a long time there was uh, talk of a transition plan of some kind. You were always talking to me about it. So, um, and, and even just that one day when I was so scared and I thought, nobody knows me and they're going to think I'm just sitting down knitting a sweater instead of getting on the phone and talking to people. And you said, that is the plan. That was a, that was a key moment for me. Um, so, so thank you. You are a mentor to me too. <laughs> so, um, it certainly has been, so I guess, now we'll switch back to banking. Okay. All right? You yeah. got it. Now back to your comfort you. zone a little. Okay, good. So what do you think is, is next for the industry? Because you're out there listening to my colleagues. You're, you're talking to people from other states, right? Your mm -hmm. role, there, is, there are 50 state associations, am I guessing? 51. 51. Puerto Rico. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we're the largest, I would assume, from the standpoint of um, or California? California or Texas, I think, okay. actually. Uh, there's a, a yeah, lot of states. Because everything's bigger in Texas. Right, exactly. A lot of states with a lot Come of community Come on, that's days. too easy. Um, <laughs> So when you get together with your colleagues, mm -hmm. what are they thinking? What are they seeing? What do they see out there in the future? Boy, um, I think uh, we haven't really talked about it all that much. I think cryptocurrency is really the thing that everybody is kind of sweating at the moment. Um, really because you're waiting to see what the regulators are going to say about this. I think banks are getting a lot more involved in it, um, partnering a lot with it. Um, there are a lot of uh, tech companies out there that are helping to usher cryptocurrency into partnerships with banks. Um, but you, you, don't, you have no idea what the regulators will say. There's trillions of dollars out there. I mean, it is scary. It is the wild, wild west, and there, is, there are trillions of dollars out there. I, I really am concerned. We were talking a little bit today about a bubble. I'm really concerned about that. So I, I think we're always talking about that. We were waiting with bated breath. This is so in the weeds. but waiting with bated breath for the Fed to come out, we were talking about this this morning, with a white paper that would sort of be the, the guide for what was going to happen with cryptocurrency. Right, so here it is. Here are all your answers. They literally they come out with it at the end. I remember getting it in my inbox and quickly flipping it to our board as fast as I could, saying, it's here, it's here, the white paper is here. It literally, all it does, it was such a disappointment, all it does is basically define what cryptocurrency is, and we're all sitting here going, we know, thanks. But they, they, all they could say was, here's what it is, and we're waiting for congressional or executive action in order, before we take any, for, any more, you know, to, to, so to come full circle back to what we were first starting, congressional action is never gonna happen, it's, it's certainly not this year. So we're waiting for an executive order uh, from the president on this, and hopefully we'll hear about that soon. Um, but again, I, I, I think, I think there are a lot of people worried uh, that so much money is in that industry and there's really nobody sort of minding right. the store. Um, so. It feels like the regulators are leading from behind on this. Oh my, yes. That's kind of their mantra these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Jill I'm is sure laughing at me. Jill is our counsel in Albany. She's going to go, don't say <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Now, Claire used to have that job. I did, I did. I, I was used at a couple to conferences where Claire was there, and I started talking. You looked at me and said, you have to stop. You have to stop. Sorry. <laughs> so, I'm, Terry, can I throw it out to the audience? Yeah, now? of course. Because I have of monopolized course. the conversation a little bit. So, um, you know, we have, again, I repeat, I think the, the idea of, you know, obviously an expert in the industry, but I, I've enjoyed our relationship and how it's developed and the changes you've made in the organization, because it's not only, and this is, not only did Mike leave, but 
for the prior couple of years, you, I know Mike would say we, you lost 160 years worth of experience right. in several retirements. And so um, you've had an organization that you've had to rebuild. You've taken some people there a long time and sort of elevated them to mm -hmm. roles that they didn't have before and they flourished. And so mm -hmm. um, I think for, again, lots of people in the audience that run businesses, that's a challenge that people sometimes are afraid to. Right? They're, they're, yep. um, and so I throw it. Anybody have any questions they'd like to ask, Claire? Dave Dorio. Yes. Hello. So, you talking about crypto. <laughs> yeah. What about digital currency, if the central bank offers mm -hmm. digital currency, where do banks fit in? Mm -hmm. Great question. Remember that white paper I was talking about? I was hoping they would say. <laughs> so he was asking about central bank digital currency, uh, which is CBDC. I, I'll, I'll tell you again, doing my homework last night, I was thinking somebody was going to ask something like this. So, so a couple of different terminology here. Cryptocurrency, uh, stablecoin, and CBDC are the sort of the three that are out there. Cryptocurrency is that sort of wild, wild west. Uh, that's what you're hearing about with blockchain and um, uh, and and all of those terms that you're hearing. Stablecoin is something that is uh, is a coin that is actually attached to like a dollar. They call it a fiat currency. Something that is um, that is tied to a government currency. CBDC is where the Fed or, or whoever it is that decides to do this actually creates a new type of currency for the United States. Uh, there are some other, I think El Salvador maybe is the only other government that's actually done this officially and a lot of other governments around the world thinking about it. Um, the Fed, we, we had hoped to get a little more information out of the Fed on CBDC and what it would mean, um, whether it would be something that would be like having a paper dollar. Um, or, or, or that kind of, just really not a lot of direction here. I'll tell you, Dave, we're having a lot of trouble just uh, to share it. In our association, we were starting to, to put together a task force on digital currency. Um, we didn't even know what to call it because we didn't know which term to use. Um, but we're actually having a lot of trouble because it, it could go in any direction. So it's hard to get the right people uh, on that and, and figure out what kind of services uh, or, or, or solutions that people would need within the association. So it's... It's so you know behind the curveball here that, um, that it's just taking time to figure that out. Wish I had the answer for you. If you if you hear it, you tell me and I'll tell you. You, you, you should be on the committee. <laughs> yeah, right. I think we have a volunteer. You're voluntold. <laughs> and then sort of separating yeah. cryptocurrency from the whole concept of blockchain, which are really right. two independent right. things, right? And so, um, which is something that we'll need to think mm -hmm. about it. And sometimes we we look at them and. and look at them as one and recognize they really are sort of two concepts and how we should implement that technology. Right? Okay. So, um, you know, at this, this, this morning the conversation was about using blockchain in the mortgage origination process, right? And that was, could have heard, I had heard about it a little bit, but to hear Tom speak about it this morning in greater detail, you recognize that, you know, as we, you know, again, we think back to the financial crisis and one of the things that, that NIBA did in, <laughs> back then was sort of lobbying for a fix of the foreclosure mess, and people were blaming banks for that, and it really wasn't the banks, it was the other alternative lenders that really could have, could have really created that. Uh, but the idea of maybe using blockchain to, to make that a more efficient process mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. kind of interesting, and so that, as you think about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rob Milas. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, I, I don't have my glasses, I can't see, I apologize. <laughs> You're better looking than Rob Milos. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, I'm so sorry. So he's asking about the. He's saying some of the larger banks have uh, have changed their fee structure, particularly in insufficient funds. Overdraft is what what we call it. Our parlay. Parlance. Um, so yes, uh, he's asking if he if we predict that to be um, something that happens throughout the industry. I, I definitely think so. I think um, look, I, it's hard to have this conversation right now given the political uh, direction that Washington is going in, in particular. Um, but there is a, there's a overdraft has a bad name, um, and we try to say look, people want options. It's not that people want to. We're trying to to actually. Um, punish those who have overdraft. There are people who actually move their finances um, with overdraft as a way to be able to pay bills and, and whatever it is that they have to do. Um, and, and 
factor in a fee, right? Um, and, and that's part of how they do business. Um, and it, it's a way for them to do things. I'm not saying that's a good way to do it, but people want the option, right? Um, and, and so overdraft has gotten a really bad name because it's punished some people um, in different ways. I, I don't see how it can continue um, given the political environment. Um, and I think you're seeing, um, we were just talking today, there's a, a large bank uh, from Western New York, M&T Bank, I'll just say it out loud. M&T Bank, it's in the press, who's, who announced today that they're, they're, they're going to have certain strictures around this. A lot of them are taking the, instead of saying no overdraft, they're saying things like you can, you'll have one fee per day uh, on overdraft. It'll be $15 or, or whatever it is. They'll, they're coming up with different ways to structure it out. Um, that may help. I don't know. Um, but I think that that's one of the things that is, for whatever reason, is just absolutely in the in the laser focus of regulators and, and quite frankly, Congress at this point. Um, so I wish I had better news. I don't know. Maybe that's good news for you. I don't know. I shouldn't assume. I, 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 <laughs> since, since there were always fees that were capped by the government, I think so they know what those were capped at. And right. People always went to the top. I think it's very easy to, to come back and lower it. I think anybody that's running a bank today is recognizing those fees are going to go down from a yeah. consumer standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and I, the other thing we're trying to do as an association is try to, uh, there's a, a account, pro, uh, or account designation that's called Bank On, um, for anybody in the room that is thinking about this. There, it's, a, um, it's a low and no fee um, uh, bank account that's popping up all over the country. Um, at, at the ABA, the American Bankers Association says that at this point, 50% 50, 50 of bank branches offer uh, Bank On across the country. Um, and that is a, a designation by something called Communities for Financial Empowerment. And basically all it is, it's a great marketing tool. Um, if you see, it's almost like seeing the FDIC symbol on your, or SIPC, on your, um, you know, on your, on your bank teller desk. If you have something that says, we offer bank on, um, you may, you know, bring people in and they, they'll have the, uh, again, option to get a bank on account with no or low fee. And you can still use, you know, have some of the other options that are out there. So we're trying to really point out that we're trying to come up with different ways for people to bank. Um, but I, like I said, laser focus here, I think, I think people are really concerned about overdraft. Right. I think it's, unfortunately, in our industry, too, there are, there are some, some banks where that's their business, is mm -hmm. figuring out how to attract those customers. And, you know, there was a bank that got 90% oh, yeah. of its, its yep. overdraft fees from 8% of its customers. Right, not in New York. Not in New York. Not in New York. Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, at one point, they were viewed as one of the darling energy because they, right. they had those great results. And then until you start to dive into it and recognize that's probably not a business model yeah. that I think I'd want to emulate or I think if you actually share that with your board, they would want to emulate. Right. So I think that um, it has to all be reasonable, but it is, it, it's in the focus today. And as we sit and plan our budget for the future, we think we'll be, you know, earning less of those fees than we earned in the past. I have a question uh, regarding the cannabis. How, how oh. are New York banks going to successfully navigate themselves to a banking cannabis client? Cannabis. How do you think that's going to evolve over time? My favorite topic, cannabis. Um, we won't ask why. <laughs> Um, so obviously New York has legalized recreational marijuana, um, not that you can tell because it's taking so long to get it up and running here. Um, so for those of you in the room, um, you cannot actually bank cannabis. Um, it is a Schedule One drug um, at, per federal law, and if you are trading in it, it is illegal. Um, and it is a felony at this point. Um, there was a, a letter that had been um, distributed by a few administrations ago that basically, I think it was Obama administration, yes. um, that said essentially we can't do anything about the fact that it's a Schedule One drug, but there are states that have legalized recreational and medicinal marijuana. And so we, as the Obama administration, have far too much to do at DOJ. We're just going to say, don't worry about it for now. We're not going to do anything with it. So that sort of built... Uh, an industry, right, um, between the legalization, um, first in Colorado and then spreading to other, uh, other states, um, and people started to feel comfortable with it. Um, come the next administration, it's just it's true, I, I, this is not a political statement, they took away, they, they removed that letter, um, and they could not make any, uh, any guarantee that there would be this sort of looking away and doing other things at DOJ. And it was never something that was guaranteed to be, um, it's not a law, it's not a regulation, it was just a letter, right? It was just guidance. Um, so banks have generally not partaken in that. You can actually, 
if you follow all of your BSA and AML laws, you can actually bank cannabis. It's just very difficult, very expensive to comply with all of those rules. Um, we have been working really hard on something called the Safe Banking Act. Um, that is a federal law that base or federal bill, I should say, that basically says if you are a state that legalizes can cannabis, whether medicinal or recreational, um, you will be able to bank it. Um, right now, it's a cash business, although you can use an ATM card when you're when you're buying it. Um, it's very dangerous in Colorado. The the crime rate around this, as, right as it started, they've gotten a lot better with it, um, was, was through the roof. Very hard to tax a cash business too, that's kind of where we're going with this, like do you want tax revenue, you need to uh, really think about it. There, We were hearing stories, at least a few years ago, of, um, of, of uh, renting armored cars to be able to take all the cash you had sitting in some safe somewhere, I don't know where, in your cannabis business, and driving it to the IRS in your state and handing it over just in piles and piles of money, handing it to the IRS. That's just not safe, it's not efficient, uh, it's kind of silly. So uh, the Safe Banking Act basically says you can bank cannabis in the, if you are in a state that has legalized it. Um, it is dragging and dragging and dragging on. Um, we're working very hard on that. Um, Senator Schumer, of all people, is one of the people who is, uh, who's, who's driving, um, he actually wants a larger bill, he wants to, um, incorporate Safe Banking Act into um, another, um, with another portion uh, of the law to talk about restorative justice and, um, uh, and, and helping out those who have been incarcerated for marijuana possession in the past. Um, I, we have nothing, no problem with that. It's just that it's taking a long time Which to get. Which is similar to how New York did it. Can New York he's actually trying, he's has. trying to mirror in the Safe that's Act exactly right. how New York has done it. That's right. Um, we have no issue with that. It's just taking a long time and to get to get the consensus on that part is is taking away from the actual you know safe banking act. Um, so it's been dragging and dragging. Um, the House of Representatives has actually passed it bipartisan twice or three times at this point. Um, and we're just waiting on the Senate Mitch McConnell yesterday kind of poo-pooed it. I'll say that. Um, so that means we're in a, we're, we're in for a fight here, um, and we're going to work with Senator Schumer's office as much as we can. Uh, to try to get that done. I, if, if there's a bill that can, do, can get, get done in Congress this year, it's that one. I, I, I do think that, which is amazing. Nothing can get done in Congress right now. Um, but that, that one has bipartisan support. There's sort of no reason why you can't just get it, get it through, get it done, and make it safer for everybody. Did that answer your question? Basically, we're depending on government. Again, I'm sorry. We just keep coming back to that. <laughs> yes? Oh, my favorite, Tom Rudzwick. Glad you invite the Queens boys to a round <laughs> event. We're coming to an question. He's uh, coming in. Great job today. I appreciate everything <laughs> you're doing and the representation here for, uh, for this group. And, and my question really is about an IRS uh, pending legislation in, in Congress about uh, reporting. Uh, mm -hmm. $600, $600 threshold that keeps getting uh, pushed around mm -hmm. there. And, uh, and, and has there been any movement on that or is it still uh, pending? And, and really, what can small business do about that? Is there any advocacy that they can follow to try to uh, prevent that from being a law? Teeing it right up for me. I like that. Thank you. Um, so this is, a, this is something that was included in the, well, it was allegedly included in the Build Back Better bill. We've never actually seen language on any of this. It was just an idea that came out. It, um, right around Labor Day of last year, we started to hear about this, um, this uh, um, proposal that would, that was, the IRS was going to actually go to banks and monitor transactions up to $600 per month, um, or, or $600 was after $600 um, uh, per month, all the transactions are going, they're trying to um, track down scoff laws and people who are, are not paying their taxes, and so they decided, because you did so well with PPP, uh, you're going to have to go and be we, the, we be the tax the bankers, <laughs> right. I guess. Yeah. right, you are now members of the IRS. Um, so obviously this caused a big uproar. Um, this, was a, this was a way for them to try to get back some of the money that they have not been able to collect for, for some time, um, which is the IRS's responsibility. It's not a bank's responsibility to do that. Um, you are, your business is all about relationships. Imagine you had to go uh, to your customers and say, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to report you to the IRS. But, but it runs counter to... It, the, the, the account that you said before about getting 
that, that checking account is really to get the unbanked part of our system. That's exactly right. Right. So now if you basically bring the $600, they're not going to want to come part of our system That's either. exactly though. right. That's exactly right. There's a lot, of, a lot of concerns about it. So do you think the IRS can protect information, <laughs> the data privacy of everybody's information? No. I mean, they, they, they were already saying they didn't have enough people to collect the taxes. Do you think they had enough people to actually track it and make sure... Uh, everyone was protected. So there's big hubbub about that. And it was New York, New York bankers who brought up uh, the fact that we've been, we've been tasked, we've been, we've been asked to really try to get to some of the people who are outside of the financial system, and we should. We should be building a more equitable and inclusive financial system. That's part of who we are. Um, and, and so we're getting all these, uh, these, these notes from on high about how we have to do that, and there are banking deserts, and how, how are you getting these people into there? We're going we're gonna to go ahead and propose a, a totally public bank because you guys don't seem to be wanting to do it. And yet, and yet, you're going to now make it so that if you open a bank account, the IRS is going to monitor it uh, after a certain threshold. It was New York banks who said, hey, you want to get to those unbanked people? You want to get to people who are uh, afraid to join the financial system? This is the wrong way to do it. You're going to scare them right out of the system and put them in a dangerous situation so that they're outside of something that's very well protected in the safety and soundness of our, of our financial system. So um, to answer your question about what everyone can do here, it is... It is still pending, I guess. Build Back Better is still out there. It never actually got through uh, the Senate. Um, we never say never in Washington. I, I'm very proud to say that the New York Bankers Association sent in 11,000 letters to Congress uh, in, in New York telling them not to do this. Um, and if you want to join in that effort, we're more than happy uh, to, to help you uh, get to your Congress member and your sen or the two senators here. Um, to talk about it, to, to, to say this is just not the way you want to go. You, the IRS is the IRS. The banks are the banks. Let's keep them separate um, in this regard. So thank you, Tom. Well, Claire, thank you. Oh, my goodness. This was so fun. Are we done already? We're done uh, already. Thank you guys so much. This is really lovely. <laughs> business Steps Up is a production of HIALI, one of the recognized voices for business on Long Island and a powerful voice and economic engine for regional development. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of Long Island's most influential business leaders. For more information, call us at 631-543-5355 or log on to hia-li.org.